I cannot tell you how much it pleases me to hear this group over here rustling pages when scripture is read. I love that you are looking it up in the Bible. And that's good because you should be. Don't trust anybody over 30. That's what we said in the 60s anyway. It's a good idea to know what is in that book because it's unlike any other book, any other place. We encourage you to do just that. Open that Bible. Now, I was walking through the kitchen with my grandson, and you know, as boys do, first thing we did was stop in front of the refrigerator. I'm going to have to take this off and take a beating later because Lisa's going to whoop me. But stopping in front of the refrigerator, I did. And my grandson said, why did you knock on the refrigerator door? And the answer is, there might be a salad dressing. No, that's, that's not a bad dad joke. That's a bad granddad joke. Okay, it, it gets worse. Don't laugh, you'll encourage me. So, he's a beautiful child, somewhat naive. Here's the question of the day. How do you convince a little one to get cleaned up when he's covered with mud? You know, the only way that he could get covered with mud is if he went out and did it because he wanted to. It was fun, and his experience is all over him. In our scripture verses, thank you, Major Betty, for reading those. Jesus is trying to describe through a parable what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, what's a parable? Well, it's a story. And why did Jesus use parables? Well, because his audience could relate to that story. It was a story set in pretty much the everyday kind of thing. But the question was, why was Jesus trying to describe the kingdom of heaven in terms that his audience would understand? Well, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus had just set about teaching several parables. And this is the second of them. And the parable was just that. What is the kingdom of heaven like? You see, the audience that he's talking to doesn't necessarily know what the kingdom of heaven is like. They might be a little confused about you know, clouds and angels and harps and that sort of thing. But Jesus is trying to explain to them what the kingdom of heaven really is like. So, Matthew chapter 5, verses 14. Again, Jesus speaking, It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Did the man give his wealth to them? No, he entrusted. He said, here, you take care of this for a while. Did the servants earn the money? No. He entrusted that to them because it was the man's to begin with and his servants are in charge of it. There's a strong difference there. 
picking up in verse 15. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. Everybody's different. Some people have musical talent. Thank you, Michelle. Some people can't carry a tune in a bucket. That's me. Never had a chance, but I sure make a joyful noise. That's the important part. Some people are born with healthy bodies. They can catch a baseball. Some with keen minds that grasp complicated equations like our students here. Going into fourth grade, congratulations. To each was given to their ability, their capacity. Now, the scripture says that these were bags of gold, but it begs the question, <clears throat> what's the most important thing the most valuable thing that you own? And this is a Q&A because I'll let you answer. But I can tell you that it's not gold. What's the most valuable thing you own? Well, in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, Jesus says, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world but lose his soul? That's the most valuable thing any of us have. It's our soul. But that includes our time, our talent, and our treasures. Because if we don't have the soul, we don't have the others. Death takes it all. Jesus knew how valuable your soul is. That's why he came. He lived a perfect life and offered his life as a sacrifice to redeem you in your stead. That's powerful. John 3.16, all of us can quote it. It's the first verse we all learned. For God so loved you that he I love our children. Out of the mouths of babes, we are led. And that's what it's about. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, including me, should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's how much Jesus loves us. That's what the Father is worried about. Verse 16, the man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Whose gold was it? Was it the servants? It was the masters. 
whose account was being settled? The servant's account, not the master's. The difference being that God gives. And the account is not going to change anything but our decisions. The things that we have chose. Those are the things that matter. The one person in the church who didn't turn his phone off. <laughs> Verse 20. The man who had received bags of gold brought the other. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Well done, good and faithful servant. The servant was obviously pleased that he had been able to double what he had been entrusted with. But so was the king. He was proud to say that he had gained five more, and the king was pleased and ready to celebrate the servant's efforts. But did you notice the king's response? You have been faithful with a few things. The king clearly was referring to five bags of gold as a few things. What were the many things he was talking about? The servant, in verse 22, the servant who had received the two talents also came and said, Master, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Again, the master's ready to celebrate. He is ready to cheer on the servant because they have done this task. It is like the father was looking for a reason to celebrate and to enter into the joy with this servant. It wasn't judgment. It wasn't looking down. It was simply, let's celebrate. So, as a dad, it really didn't matter to me if my kid was picking flowers in left field during the t-ball game. To me, and most parents that I saw sitting around us, it didn't matter if the t-baller didn't know which way to run once the ball was hit. We were all cheering for the guys in the outfield as well as the guys in the infield. It was a celebration because we loved to see what those little tykes were doing. Love is unconditional. There is no doubt that God was not surprised that either of these servants had come back with their treasure trove because God was there helping them the entire time. 
God was there in the midst of it. Love is unconditional. Jesus tells us in the Lord's Prayer to pattern our prayers after our Father, which art in heaven. Now, that's an interesting term because the term that's used is Abba. Uh, child gibberish for Dada, or what we refer to as Daddy. Jesus taught us that we're to refer to the Father as Daddy. Now that opens up a whole lot of questions because this picture of Zeus up there with a lightning bolt ready to stab us whenever we do something wrong is not the same as what we see with Daddy who loves us, nurtures us, cares for us, is concerned about us, wants to cheer us on. That's the picture that Jesus was giving of the Father. Tells us a lot about how Jesus thought of the Father. Verse 24, finally, the servant who had received one talent came and said, Master, I knew that you are a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what belongs to you. You wicked, lazy servant, replied the master. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seeds. Then you should have deposited my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received it back with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But the one who does not, even what he has, will be taken away from him. So I have a question. What if the God who spoke into existence all of the gold and the silver and the precious metals in the cosmos didn't really care about gold or silver or precious metals? Since Jesus was talking about the kingdom of heaven, what was the thing of value that he placed on deposit with these servants? What was the thing that was most valuable? Your soul, time, talent, and treasures. What if it's not what we're supposed to do, but what we are supposed to be? Greg Laurie, great televangelist, great preacher. He says, I think somewhere in our minds as believers, we expect serving the Lord or using what God has given us to be a drudgery, hard, difficult, unpleasant, no fun. In the parable of the talents, that's what the third servant thought. He had a warped concept of his master. He said to him, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. 
and I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have your what is yours. Essentially, the master said, all right, you say that I'm a hard man harvesting that that didn't belong to me. If that is so, why didn't you invest my money? You see, the man's concept of his master was wrong. He thought his master was something he was not. In the same way, some people have a warped concept of God today. They're afraid to say to him, here is my life, Lord. Here is my future. Here are my resources. Here's my time. It's now dedicated to your glory. They would never say that because they think that God would make their lives miserable. That was the problem with this third servant. He had a false concept of his master. Many of us are afraid of God, but that fear is not godly reverence. We're afraid of what he will do to us, afraid that he will ruin our lives. It's time for us to realize that the greatest joy in life is serving the Lord. It's not drudgery, it's joy. It is life as it's meant to be lived. We have a choice. Our time, our talent, our treasures are his. How will we spend them? So we're back to the original question. How do you convince a little one to get cleaned up when they're covered with mud? Evangeline, if you would come back to the piano. As a sign of our commitment, I ask that you come with your God-given time, talent, treasure, and soul to present them to the Father as his child and enter into the joy of the Lord.